thank you for listening. This is another episode of Leon Jones Talks Mental Health. And today's episode is about my journey from start to end. The mistakes I've made, the positive parts, the negative parts, the reason why I spent 10 years inside my drug use and technically in my life. So here goes. So from the age of 12, things were very, very good. I was an actor, I was starring in Les Miserables in Plymouth in the UK in the drum theatre. Um, I have a very loving family, I had my mum, my sister Sam, my nan, my granddad, my aunties and my uncles and my cousins. Unfortunately my father left just after I was born and it's been 32 years and I still haven't seen him. Now come to the age of 13 things started to progress quite difficult for me. Um, I started secondary school, uh, which is in some state like in America's high school and stuff like that. Um, and I became very disruptive, very disruptive, very kind of aggressive, um, not wanting to learn, um, just distancing myself away from people. And I couldn't really tell why that was happening. Um, I just moved to a new area in Plymouth called Keam, um, which some of you may have heard on the news was involved in a mass shooting not long ago. I lived three minutes away from where that happened. Um, and I started getting into the wrong crowd, and that's where I started smoking cannabis. Now, my cannabis used to start off with was literally just you know a couple scripts a night it was nothing major and then it became something major um at the age of 14 i got kicked out of school uh, for fighting i'm actually with a teacher believe it or not um and then i got offered a placement in another school they wanted me to stay back a year um I'm going to be honest with you, I did tell them to fuck off. My mother was obviously not very happy with me. Um, She was fuming with me, in fact. Um, She said that was the best opportunity I was ever going to get. So then I ended up going to a private private tutoring in a different kind of area in Plymouth. Um, But I found the work too easy, so I left after about six months. And that's where my cannabis use kind of got out of hand. Um, I was smoking just I mean ridiculous amounts of cannabis you just couldn't comprehend how much a 14 year old person was smoking I could probably say for myself I was smoking an ounce a day people may say where were you getting that sort of stuff from I had people I knew um, that I could get for free off as long as I did things for them I did deal drugs um nick motorbikes and stuff like that um difficult to talk about guys but you know it has to be spoken about um and then uh it got to the point where after about three months of this i became extremely paranoid um to the point where for six months i locked myself in my mum's house did not leave so every time my mum left the house i would have to uh ask her to lock the front door and post the keys back through the letterbox because i was convinced that someone's going to rob her come in the house and kill me and my friends had to ring me three times on my mobile phone or throw one stone at my bedroom window 
I was also hearing voices at the time. Um, and then one day I kidnapped my friends for over two hours. Now this is a complete blur to me. This is just what they told me. Um, we were smoking weed about eight of us in my bedroom, male and female. Um, music was going on, the old school two-pack, old school Biggie, Jay-Z and all that lot. I went downstairs, got a kitchen knife, walked back in my bedroom, put it on the table, said no one's leaving. Took all their mobile phones. Um, and yeah, it just kind of went out of hand for a couple of hours. Uh, they didn't challenge me, they didn't do anything. They knew I wasn't in the right frame of mind, they knew I was unwell. Uh, and I snapped out after a couple of hours. I thought, what, what's the knife doing in here? Um, and they explained to me. Um, and then I was in the process of actually being sent to court, an uh, adolescent court, for um, a burglary on my secondary school, the school I got kicked out of. Um, and I got found guilty. Uh, I was looking at two years in a young offenders, but fortunately, sorry, I got a 12 month supervision order. Um, I, was, uh, I was given a probation officer and a drug counsellor. And my drug counsellor was called Mike Best. Um, and he was having conversations with my mum, I believe, without me knowing. And then one day, um, I was painting my bedroom red because I randomly found a red light bulb. Um, a bit random, I know, but that's just the kind of state of mind I was in. So me and my ex, Mrs. Sasha, and a couple of my other friends were painting my room red. And Mike knocked on my bedroom door and says, Leon, can we go for a drive? I was like, yeah, of course, of course, come, Mike, no problem, mate. Um, and that was the last time I saw my friends for four and a half years. I went to see a psychiatrist that day. I broke down in tears. And he said, would you come in informally? Otherwise, I would have to section you. I said, yes. So I went in informally. Um, and then I was in a five-day unit, but they agreed I needed seven-day care. So um, I got transferred to London to a unit called the Capio Nightingale, where I ended up getting put on a section two, which if you remember from my last podcast that I've mentioned about the sections, that lasts for 28 days. Now my behaviour was appalling guys, I'm not going to sit and say I was an angel, I was fighting a lot with staff, mainly staff, male staff, um, I was placed on 4 to 1, where there's 4 members of staff following me around everywhere I go, um, I was confined to my bedroom majority of the time, they just couldn't control me on the ward, and then a unit called St Andrews Medium Secure Adolescent Unit in um, Northampton in the UK, come to assess me um, but mind you during this, every time I was kicking off they were injecting me with sedatives to calm my behaviour down and the day that I got assessed was St Andrews uh, their names were Nick Prendergast and Sue Burt Sue Burt was a uh, social worker and Nick Prendergast was going to be my name nurse on the ward they walked on the ward that I was on in London and I'm being restrained and injected into my bum cheek with a sedative to calm my behaviour down. Um, now, I went to St Andrews, they put me on a section three. I kicked off about that. And then I went to, went to St Andrews. And before I've made it onto the ward, I'm getting restrained. I've tried to attack a member of staff. Now, I want people to think, I want people to just 
just just take a moment to think there. Um, why was I being so aggressive again? I didn't know why, and that's the God's honest truth. I didn't know why. I can't explain why I was being so aggressive. I can't explain why things were the way they were. I had an amazing upbringing of them. My father even before I was one years old. Um, but I just, I was, I, I, I was a young lad. I mean, and now I've been taken away from my family and my friends. It's just, it's not a nice experience to go through for anyone, for anyone of that age. Um, the youngest person I've met inside an institution was 12 years old. Uh, funny enough, I come cross paths with her again um, later on in life. Um, so yeah, but just just remember, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a young lad, you know, even though things were good at home with my family, me and my mum had a rocky relationship, but that's just because of me. That's not because my mum's not a nice person. My mum is an amazing person. My whole family are amazing. It was me. It was down to me. And solely me. Um, now, after doing therapy inside the lesson unit, very strict, very, very, very strict. So you had to wake up at half past seven in the morning. You had to have a shower. Um, if you didn't have a shower, you never had leave. If you didn't do your lessons, i.e. your education lessons, your psychology sessions, you couldn't have leave either. You're very strict, very disciplined, which I wish I liked, which I wish I needed and which I liked. I turned 18 and ended up going to an adult unit down in Plymouth, near Plymouth called Lee Mill. And then from there, I ended up going to a PQ, which is a psychiatric intensive care unit, because I took a rather relapse. And then after that, I got discharged. Um... I had a few informal admissions in between there and the age of uh, 2021. And then I... Things were getting so bad. I was back in the routine. I was back in sniffing cocaine. I was taking pills. I was smoking weed. I was taking ketamine. Never done crack or heroin. Never, never, never done that. I never will do. In fact, I've not taken drugs in 11 years now. Um... And then I went to A&E to pronounce myself mentally unwell and I got knocked back for help. Um, I believed I needed therapy. I believe I needed more intense therapy as an adult, not as an adolescent, which I wasn't getting. So I made a phone call and I threatened to kill the mental health team and the psychiatrist. Um... And that led me to be me being arrested, me being interviewed and me being charged, refused bail, appeared in Plymouth Magistrates the next day and remanded into custody where I spent two years on remand. And now during those two years, I went to a medium security unit in Dawlish, which is in Devon in the UK, and it's called Langdon Hospital. Um, I was there in a section 48, which again, if you remember from my podcast on sections, that is a remanded prisoner going for assessment. Um, but again, after three months, I was too violent. I was in and out of seclusion. They couldn't contain me. So they sent me back to prison on the 1st of March 2011. And during this time, I'd lost my auntie Helen to cancer. So it wasn't a very easy time me at all um all the family 
and also for my friends, um, do I do I feel ashamed that I committed that offence? Yes, I do. I feel a lot of guilt. I feel a lot of remorse. I never did it to start off with, guys. And that's the God's honest truth. I wanted revenge for years, um, but then I just kind of thought to myself, well, it's my own doing. I made the mistakes. No one made them. No one forced me to threaten to kill anybody. I I made the threats. I did what I did. It's simple. It's, uh, you have to take responsibility in these things. And the quicker you take responsibility, the, the easier it becomes. Um, and then I ended up whilst in jail for um, the two years. Uh, I was tuning from, from Crown Court, um, which is a high court, one of the... Well, it's a, it's a court in, in the UK, which is uh, which is where you get sentenced for murders and rapes and for paedophiles and stuff like that. It's it's a hefty court. They have them all over the UK. Um, pardon me for violent offences and stuff like that. Um, and I remember going to court one day, and the judge went mental. He just went mad. He said, um, "This is after about sixteen months of being on my man." Um, 16 to 18 months of being on my man. The judge said to the prosecution and my barrister, he said, uh, you've got four weeks. I want two psychiatric reports in front of me. And if there's not, then Mr. Jones will walk free from this court and I will drop his case. Um, because obviously two years is a very, very, well, nearly two years is a very, very long time to be on remand. Um, so, uh, Within 24 hours, the prison psychiatrist Dr. Brown done her report. Uh, 48 hours later, Dr. Gamble from the Lernarth Court in Wales done his report. A week later, I'm in court getting a section 38 again, review back onto the sections that I've done. That is a prisoner, remanded prisoner going for uh, treatment and assessment. Um, and uh, two weeks later, I ended up in Lernarth Court as a remanded prisoner going for assessment and treatment. Things were extremely rocky to start off with. Extremely rocky to start off with. Um, I threatened to have a patient with a metal knife. Um, I was being restrained. I was just not a nice individual to be around. And that's not me, guys. That's not me. I want to make that very, very clear. If you were to meet me in person, you think, flipping now, this all this happened to this this guy and yet he, he's such a nice person because i really am guys i really am such a kind gentle humble human being loving caring understanding um um but unfortunately my mistakes made me into that person and my lifestyle made me into that person um so after being three i spent three years in lenarth court during a period of time things were rocky things got really good i got granted leave by the Ministry of Justice, because, oh yeah, sorry, I forgot to tell you, my sentence then was a 3741, which again, if you go back to the sections, it leads up to um, the Ministry of Justice section, where only your your doctor cannot give you leave, it has to go through the Ministry of Justice by form filling, um, and all of that lot, and the team have to be in agreement with sending it off to the Ministry of Justice, they can usually take anywhere between 2 and 10 weeks for a reply, uh, for a yes or no answer, so eventually I granted leave. One day I absconded. I had armed police find me. Um, they brought me back to the unit. Obviously my leave got rescinded, which means it got taken away 
by the Ministry of Justice um, and I had to start from scratch all over again which I did struggled but I did I was engaging very well with psychology they finally diagnosed me with an emotionally unstable personality disorder with traits of dissocial and histrionic um, and then one day which was a not a good day for me I, I woke up in a very 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 bad mood very toxic mood and I ended up causing a riot on the ward a female uh, put it this way the armed police got called um, and it got diffused pretty quickly um, I spent 12 weeks in seclusion now during this 12 weeks in seclusion the Ministry of Justice wanted my doctor to give me assessed for high secure um, they wanted me assessed for Broadmoor which if you are not from this country if you're not from the UK I'm pretty sure you might have heard of Broadmoor it's a very notorious high secure hospital in the UK I believe it's in Berkshire or Buckinghamshire it's one of the two um, uh, lucky enough for me my psychiatrist managed to um, buy some time shall we say I thought to myself, well, I think the best thing to do is ask for a move, for a fresh start. They agreed, the MOJ agreed. So then we had Signet Berry in Manchester come to assess me, another medium secure. They agreed to take me. Did take four to five weeks for them to take me. Eventually I got there and I tried the same behaviours. I tried the, um, the, the piss arse in the bank, should we say piss arsing about you know just fucking about all the time and not listening to the rules or regulations and just being an absolute idiot of an individual um and eventually I settled down I, I engaged really well with psychology my I had a couple of different psychologists there Lauren um and there was one who was uh, a locum which means they're temporary and then the best one no offence to Lauren <laughs> the best one I ever come across was one called Dr. Greg Warwick he was 26 years old and this guy was absolutely amazing he was so down to earth he was the only psychologist sorry, during my time inside that I felt comfortable around he was the only one I could open up to who I could cry in front of who I could actually be myself in front of um and I commend him for that because it takes a lot for me to open up um, and be honest with people and tell people what's really going on. So after spending three years in in, in uh, Signet Berry, they decided it was time for a change in uh, security. So they moved me to a low secure in Nottingham, another Signet. Now, this was by far the worst hospital I've ever been in my life. I've been lucky to meet a very, very nice person there called Matthew. Um, he's an absolute, absolutely amazing guy. He's such a laugh. We had such a laugh together. The staff there were brilliant. It was just the way it was run was absolutely appalling. Um, now we have a thing in the UK called the CQC, which stands for the Care Quality Commission. And they go around and they assess units and hospitals and uh, care homes and general hospitals and stuff like that to see if they're up to scratch. And unfortunately for Signet Clifton in Ottingham, they're not up to scratch. So they were placed under special measures 
last year by the CQC um, after I'd left, which is what they did deserve. I'm not gonna lie. Um, so from there, they, my psychiatrist from Devon come to see me and say, Leon, you don't need to be in hospital no more. You've spent nearly 10 years inside. You know, it's um, time for you to get out. So they moved me to Wellesley in Somerset in September 2019. I won my tribunal and got a conditional discharge, which means I have eight conditions I have to abide by, which is stuff like random drug testing, uh, drinking from my prescribed alcohol limit set by my consultant, um, let my CPN in the building, let my social supervisor in the building, let my psychiatrist in my building, but the building I mean my house, to reside in my house, um, and not to contact the victim directly or indirectly, and to comply with medication. Um, so those are my conditions. I can, if I break my conditions, I'm liable for recall at any time. But there's some good news. Even though I've been recalled twice in the past year, there is some good news. They are disputing my section. They are saying that I no longer fit the criteria for 3741 as I'm not a violent person anymore. And technically you are put on that section because you are classed as a risk to society. Um, and I no longer am that risk or that person no more. Um, so I just want to go back and talk a bit more about the 10 years inside and how it changed me and and the impact I had on my family and friends it's it's hard it's not easy the click of a finger one minute you're in society and next thing you know you're in prison and then you're doing 10 years altogether it's, it's a very hard thing to take in but I I say this to a lot of people that I meet when I've been inside you know, I mean, no offence to them, yes, they complain, they moan that they're, they're not moving nowhere. But I say to them, the best thing anyone can do in that situation is accept your situation. Accept the situation you're in. Accept what you've done is wrong. Accept you need help. Because if you don't accept it, you're not going to move forward. And that's what I did for years, for like five, six years. I wasn't moving nowhere because I wasn't accepting what I'd done. I never accepted I did that. I blamed other people. I blamed the mental health team for my for my threats to kill. I blamed a lot of other people. I blamed society. You know, but it wasn't. It was me, Leo Michael Jones. I made the phone call. No one forced me. I took the drugs. No one forced me. I lived the lifestyle. No one forced me. All me. All them to me. Um. And my aim in life is to inspire others, to help others, to guide others through their journey of mental health and to give them an understanding of life can get better, but you have to put your work in. Life gives you eggs. You chuck so many away, you're left with a few. You know, that's how I see it. Um... So you're left with six eggs. You know, each egg is a lifeline. I must have chucked about five eggs away and had one lifeline left before that had been it. Game over. Um, they say don't throw your eggs into one basket. That's the little saying we have over here. I don't know if we have it in other countries. And also, now that I'm out and I'm about and I'm in my house, that's what, I mean, the time now currently is 
at 25 past 5 in the morning on Saturday um, I believe it's the 18th today I'm not quite sure um, 18th of September um, but I do these I'm doing this podcast so people get a better understanding of me and know that I have been through this shit I, I've attempted suicide many many times I've lived the darkest lives you know I've been there I've come out the other end and I've Telling everybody now, no matter what illness you have, whether it's PD, bipolar, eating disorder, OCD, PTSD, schizophrenia, um, schizoaffective disorders, whatever it may be you have, you can overcome it. You can and you will overcome it. I'm telling you now, all you have to do is have that sense of belief. The moment you have that belief, the moment you can kickstart your life and you can change your life for the better. Would I go back to drugs? Would I hell? My drug days are over. I want to help other people. I want to inspire other people. And I hope when people listen to this, they realise, they think, wow, this guy, he's a really nice guy. You know, he, he talks from the heart. I talk from the heart. I talk from raw emotion. You know, right now I'm sat here and my eyes are kind of in that frowning sense, but in that focus sense at the same time. You know, I move my hands about because I'm thinking to myself, I wish I could stand in front of five, ten, fifteen thousand people and give a speech about my journey. You know, that's what I aim to do. I aim to hopefully travel the world if given the opportunity and do speeches in universities and colleges and schools up to a certain age obviously um, and and give people an insight into mental health yes there's a lot of stigma surrounding mental health there always will be it's the same it's the same with there's a lot of stigma surrounding black lives matter i agree with their movement i totally agree with their movement it's injustice of course it is it's the same with mental health on a different level you know stigma is always going to be around I don't think we'll ever get rid of the stigma. But it's about educating people. It's about educating people on mental health. Mental health can happen for many, many reasons. Trauma is a massive reason why mental health happens. I have friends that have suffered trauma that have mental health problems. It could be drug taken. You know, there are many, 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 many reasons. Sexual abuse, which also comes under the trauma. You know, it's so uh, body dys- body dysmorphia, which is mainly, I believe, women suffer mainly from body dysmorphia. I've met a couple of women that suffer with body dysmorphia. Um, it's a horrible thing to think that you're ugly and that you're fat, and really you're not. You're a nice individual. You're beautiful. I believe everyone is beautiful, even the people that have done wrong. I believe they're beautiful people in the inside. I just believe they've made extremely bad choices in life. Now, if I was given the opportunity to give speeches, I would give speeches. I would answer questions. I'm a very, 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 very open guy. A very open guy indeed. I have nothing to hide. I know I did wrong in my life. I know I messed my family up. I know I messed myself up. But I am to blame for that. No one else is to blame myself leon michael jones 32 years old i am to blame for my mistakes 
my mistakes are my mistakes and no one else's mistakes. They are mine and mine solely. I hold my hands up. I threaten to kill the psychiatrist and the mental health team. I caused the riots on the ward. I was attacking staff on the ward. I was getting injected with sedatives on the ward. You know, that's my own doing. That's because of my behaviour. No one else's. My behaviour. They can say that other people's behaviour can influence yours. Yes, that is true. If if you're in a very good mood one day and someone else is kicking off, yes, you can be triggered by that. Of course you can. It's the same with anything. If you're, if say for instance, if you're feeling suicidal and you've got a patient on the ward who's self-harming, that's going to trigger your suicidal thoughts. Of course it is. It's natural. It's the way the brain works. You know, and that's why psychology comes into play. You work with psychology, you do what you've got to do, and you get yourself through these tough periods of time, and you come out a stronger person. I always say to someone, if you're in hospital, or in prison, or wherever you may be, um, in an institution, focus, just imagine, even though you may not see it, even though you may think it's a million, million, million miles away, just imagine there's a glimmer of light right at the end of this tunnel. Just a tiny flick of light. Focus on that flick of light. Focus on that flick of light. And that flick of light will get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It may not happen quickly. It may happen over a period of years. But eventually that light will be so big that you'll be thinking to yourself, Wow, I've made it. I'm now who I want to be. I am now who I was when I was 12 before I started taking the drugs and committing my crime. But the only difference with me now is I have a diagnosis of EUPD. I spent 10 years inside. I still am on my section for the time being. But the main thing about my change is I want to help others. I want to inspire others. I want to do talks. I want to travel the world and help others. So guys, that's my story. Um, and I also, just to put it out there, um, I do feel a lot of guilt towards my little sister Darcy um, because she was born just before um, I got locked up. She was just, uh, she was, I think she was about one years old um, when I got locked up. So I missed a lot, a lot of her important years in her life. So I do feel a lot of guilt, but it's guilt that I will live. Even though people say you shouldn't live without guilt, Leon, unfortunately I will do because I'm a family man. Um, but the guilt's not as bad as what it was. Because now I get to see her on FaceTime, I get to see her in person, I get to cuddle her, I get to give her kisses, I get to buy her things that she wants. If I could make a career out of helping other people, then I will do. But I need the opportunity. I need the opportunity to make a career out of helping other people and doing what I'd like to do. That's my goal. That's my aim. And that's why I started doing these podcasts. They're doing well at the moment. 141 plays so far combined. I'd like to reach thousands and thousands and thousands. And that's why I want to ask you guys if you know anybody that suffers from mental health or think that my podcast can help other people tell them more about it you can even send me a personal voice message on Anchor and you can tell me if you like my podcast if you want me to talk about any other subjects 
if I've inspired you, or even if you're showing out there who thinks that you've got a job opportunity for me, that thinks that I could help your country or help people in your area, then please come forward. But I appreciate every single one, that every single individual that listens to my podcast. You mean the world to me. You're, you're the guys that give me hope that I can make a career out of what I want to do and that's to help others so guys it is me Leon Michael Jones 32 years old talking about my journey and my life I love you all from the bottom of my heart and I know it's crazy to say that but I do even though I haven't met you I do love you all I'm a lovable guy and I love you all too and I hope you have a fantastic day and I hope you share this podcast and I hope you listen to this podcast. I hope it inspires you. So from me, Leon Michael Jones, let's talk mental health. Let's try and educate other people. I'll speak to you all soon. I love you all. Goodbye. God bless. <laughs>